Hi everyone, it's Gracie with Self-Care with Gracie. Welcome back to the podcast. I have no guests today, it's just me. And I'm very excited to share a topic that I've been thinking about for months in terms of content I wanted to share on this podcast. I wasn't quite sure I knew the right way to say it. And to be perfectly honest, as you know, I am on this podcast, I'm still not quite sure I know how to say it. I never like to let perfectionism or fear stop me from sharing something that keeps tugging at me. So I'm just gonna dive in and I'll say it and I know I'll say it imperfectly. And I also know that whoever's listening out there, hello you, might hear something that you need to hear in it. Today I wanna talk about self-care and the concepts of codependency and enmeshment. I wanna talk about these patterns in our personal lives and how they play out, the pain and discomfort that they cause in our relationships and our lives, and also the, um, the growth that I think is possible within those dynamics. And I want to talk about how these dynamics of losing ourselves in an unhealthy way in relationships are being played out in larger society right now, and also being reinforced by society itself, and how there are opportunities within those really painful dynamics as we watch them play out on the larger screen of politics and social norms, that there actually are opportunities for us to grow as a society and as a culture. So again, this is pretty big, and I'm going to see if I can do it justice. First, I think it's helpful to define what enmeshment and codependency are. And I'm going to say that I'm not the person to define these perfectly because I am not a trained psychologist. I have not studied this extensively in a book or from a person who is learned. Rather, I have studied them in my own life, and I know the feeling of getting lost in relationships. I can I think of codependency just for myself in terms of when I'm in a relationship and something is not right with the other person, be it that person is unhappy with me in some way, unhappy in their own life, frustrated by something. It's my inability to know that I am okay, even if that person sitting right next to me is not okay. And the, the way that I can just get very, um, my well-being, my sense of self, my um, internal permission of whether or not I'm allowed to practice self-care is dependent on another person's behavior and moods and attitudes in life. And I, for myself, define enmeshment as when I can't even tell what my emotions are and what somebody else's emotions are. So if I'm sitting next to somebody and they're in a super bad mood and I was in a pretty good mood when I sat down and all of a sudden I'm in a really bad mood and I can't even tell are you upset or is that me? And that feeling that I'm somehow uh, connected in an unhealthy way to a person. So I think these two dynamics that I experienced in my life, they interweave themselves within relationships. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, and I, it's hard to know exactly when these dynamics come up, except that I feel like the bottom has just fallen out of my life. Those of you who listened to the podcast for a while knew, know that I grew up in a family where there were addiction issues, there were mental illness issues that were untreated. From my dad's side, I was most definitely living the story of um, refugees resettling in the United States. My dad was not born in the United States. He was born in a displaced persons camp after my parents, my grandparents had lost their entire families in World War II. 
unsettled over here, a ton of unprocessed trauma on that side of the family. And that really played out in terms of my dad's um, mental illness and trauma that he had never really worked through. And that translated into his self-care practices as well. And then, uh, you know, on my mom's side of the family, just a lot of like waspy repressed issues and especially in the female side of the family, like a lot of internalized oppression. Um, And so all of that, you know, we all deal with our family dynamics growing up. And I just share them because it's important to know that these dynamics within ourselves do not start in a bubble. Like we, we learn from the relationships around us. We learn from the world around us, which I think are extremely codependent, especially in the United States looking around us on the bigger stage right now of things, I think we are in a codependent crisis in our nation. I look at the election of Donald Trump as president as being um, like this, this really disgusting, from my perception, representation of our unhealthy relationship with authority figures. And I've come to really understand that the way that we view authority figures in our life, so the people that we think hold power over us and our relationship with them, it says a lot about how we feel about codependence. So if we grew up in a home where we were, like in my house, I was, um, from my dad, yelled at a lot. Like he was just, would get angry very quickly and yell, and even when I hadn't really done anything. And so I grew up with like a fearful relationship to him that I didn't want him to yell. I internalized that as perfectionism. I had to do things more perfectly so I would not trigger his anger, even though that anger, as I said, was like passed on from lineages of repressed trauma. And But all of that affected my behavior. And so that was my relationships with authority figures. And even as I go on in my life, and I'm in my later 30s now, done a lot of personal work, I still get afraid of authority figures sometimes. If I am you know, working in a situation where I sense that there is somebody who has more power over me in that moment, or I really care about someone else's opinion, I can get very frightened about if I do something wrong, what will that happen? And if we really um, grew up in a lot of codependent dynamics, we will fear authority figures or we'll, ha- or we'll rebel against authority figures. So I'm going to get to that. So if we look at our nation, and I'm speaking to people who live in the United States, but also I know that people who do not live in the United States have a lot of feelings and reactions to Donald Trump and him being president of the United States. But if we look at how our country has been able to... Uh, react to Donald Trump, I think that we've gone in a few different ways. One is the people that are just, they love him and they think he's amazing. And even though so much of his behavior is abusive and degrading, disrespectful, we could just go down the line, misogynistic, racist, classist, that people who, even the people that the policies will really badly affect them in their lives, they love him and they support him and anything he does is okay. And looking at people that I know that grew up in really highly dysfunctional families, if there was an authority figure in the house whose behavior was really bad, sometimes the people in that family, they choose to just enable that behavior and refuse to look at the larger implications of it because it's too threatening to look at what somebody who you think holds an important amount of power in your life, that they're actually, um, the phrase that's coming to me is full of shit, that that they don't know, that they're totally afraid. 
And I can look at Donald Trump and be like, oh, that man is terrified. That man does not know who he is. That man is like no spiritual grounding at all. And yet he, as all bullies do, he presents in this way that's like super pumped up, tough. And I think for the people that identify with that and really want that kind of hardline hero to come through, to have to look at him as a nuanced person, it would just be too threatening to their sense of self. And so they just accept him and applaud him. And if you look in dynamics of families, you will always find people who enable that behavior, who will never criticize someone's behavior, even when it's really, really, really bad and destructive and not even helpful for the person themselves that's doing the behavior. So I see us as a nation acting that out. I also see us as a nation doing what other people in codependent dynamics, especially families that we grew up in, are doing, which is rebelling. And that is that we look at somebody's behavior, we immediately see that they're full of shit. Like, no, this is really bad. And I do not, I I hate you. I, um, you suck. Um, I'm going to scream at you. It's, and and that reaction, I I think, you know, it, it feels pretty appropriate sometimes. Except the issue is, is when we don't understand the larger dynamics, just looking at our personal relationships. If there are, like, if you grew up in a family where there was someone in the house who was in really dysfunctional behavior and you were so angry at them and rebelled against them and blamed them for everything that was going on in your life, it's, it's not really healthy behavior for you to hold that kind of hatred and, um, and blame inside of yourself. And I'm, I know that this is a tricky moment talking about Donald Trump, so just stay with me on this. Because I think that there's a, a really fine line between hating somebody and, and letting them get you so riled up that you lose connection to yourself and holding them accountable or holding yourself accountable in a new way and working to create a new vision in your life. So I'm going to go with the first, which is that we just get lost in, in rage. And I've, I've spent definitely moments of my life feeling this way about, well, you know, my family was not there for me in this way or... I needed something that I didn't get in my life. And all of that is valid. And if you've ever felt that way, you will know that like in those moments, those feelings come up and they're pretty valid sound feeling. And yet it, it wasn't helpful for me. I, I realized that I am holding somebody else responsible for all the bad things that were happening in my life. That was a form of codependency. That was a form of enmeshment. It was my believing that somebody's bad actions meant something about who I was as a person. As a child, it's it's almost impossible, I think, to not feel this way because in, as we are children, if our caregivers and our authority figures are responsible for our care or our well, well-being and they are not acting functionally, that's going to affect us. And oftentimes when we're children, it's a lot easier to metabolize that as like, I, I am bad. And that's where we start to really get into the shame dynamics. Praise be to Brene Brown and all the research that she has done around how shame shuts us down, stops us from having meaningful connections in our lives, stops us from personal internal growth. And we learn shame as a pattern early on in life as a way to deal with dysfunctional dynamics. My therapist, when I first started talking about shame, she, she um, gave me this, I don't know if it's a metaphor or analogy or what, but she says that in the wild, when a monkey little baby loses its mom, it will actually, um, after it screams a few times, it'll stop screaming because that screaming and that vulnerability will leave it open to predators. And so instead it'll just shut down and go into the shame response. And I experience that response in my nervous system. When I am in a shame response, I feel like I've overstepped. 
something, um, I, I start to feel like I'm a bad person. Usually it's a dynamic, like a codependent dynamic in a relationship. I want to get low. I want to close my eyes. I don't want to talk to anyone. And that's the shame response taking over. And it's actually a protective mechanism. I, the way that I understand it. And, but what it does is it shuts things down. It's not meant as a way to live, but rather as just something to, that, that the nervous system does when it does feel like it's in danger. When we grow up in a family um, with a lot of these patterns, we can get into the fight or flight or um, freeze, which I think is like that shame response pretty often. And then we learn those patterns. We start to live them out as adults and we feel like we're trapped in them, that we feel bad about ourselves all the time. We feel like we can't share who we are with the world. We don't feel like we have the space to pursue our creative dreams. Taking care of ourselves just feels incredibly hard and we don't know why. If all of this is valid, we, we learn this and there's a reason for it. And yet if we just blame our, our family for it and we get stuck in that phase of things, then we're never going to heal. And I think that that same is true when we look at how we're challenging this, this dominant, I wouldn't call it dominant paradigm, this paradigm that we're in right now where Donald Trump is president is that if we get so lost in our hatred of him and our blame of him, then it just shuts us down collectively. I'm just going to take a pause there. I know that that was a lot. So, so what, so what's the response here? And, and I think that what the response is here is first to really understand the mechanisms and how they work and understand that if we are pardoning bad behavior from someone who's an authority figure, that means that we are, we are living out codependent mesh dynamics. I don't think that anyone listening to this podcast is probably feeling that way about Donald Trump, but I'll just say it. And then where I think more of us are at, where we just feel powerless and we feel like, I can't believe this is happening and this person's ruining everything and we just get lost in those feelings around it. One, to understand that those feelings are important and that we need to go through that phase. And, and then collectively for us to be able to establish healthier boundaries around where we're letting ourselves go emotionally. And this is a good point to direct it back to how to work with codependent dynamics within our personal relationships. So in our personal relationships, if we feel like when I'm in relationship with people, I just, I don't, it's so painful and I don't know who I am and I don't, I lose myself so easily. It's, it's good to recognize a few things. One is that you're probably a pretty sensitive person. And this is where I think um, empathy is a wonderful thing that we can understand what other people are feeling. And that is what we are missing in the, like, the larger scale of, of the world right now. But if you feel like you are doing that in a way that it actually hurts you and that you're picking up on things that aren't yours, that's where empathy starts to work against you. And so it's important if you do find yourself getting stuck in those super emotional responses to be like, I have a bank account of how much I'm going to care. And I, I care, I care. And every once in a while, I'm going to like spend a lot and be like, I super duper care. And that's for me when I just, someone in my life is going through something really hard and I just, I, it hits me and I sit with it for a long time and I'm, I'm, I'm like not okay within it, but I also feel like it's okay. Cause I just need my heart to kind of be broken open with this thing right now for somebody in my life that I care about, or I hear something on the news and it super duper touches me. Child separation stuff, hundred percent that for me. And I, I, I'm not going to like, be like, well, I guess I don't care that much. And yet we have a certain amount of emotional energy that we can put out every day. And so just to be like, I'm going to let this rattle me, but I'm actually not going to let this rattle me. And I listen to the radio, just like bringing it back to Donald Trump to be like, 
I'm not going to let his like everyday annex rattle me. Like, do I see them as being hugely destructive? Yes. Is me getting like full of rage every single day in a way that I'm not effectively taking action to create something different going to be helpful? Like, no, that is not going to be helpful because those to me feel like codependent dynamics where I can't hold myself within the discomfort of watching somebody else's bad behavior and how not, I know it doesn't happen in a vacuum with Donald Trump because it affects all of us in this world. And yet my rage in that moment and I losing myself and my self-destructive behavior around that is not going to help solve the larger problem of things. So also in personal relationships, we, um, in addition to recognizing that sensitivity is a good thing, but we just have to create some boundaries and limits around how deeply we're going to go into those dynamics. The next thing that we can do is to really look at the company we keep. And I think there are certain people that are just going to be really harder to not become codependent and enmeshed with. And I think that those are people who are holding that dynamic. And if you also hold that that other end of the dynamic and you come together, it takes both people to mutually work through those dynamics, which if you are in a marriage or some other kind of very committed friendship, business partnership, and you both really want to work on it because you see that the larger goal is out there, like, I really want to make this work. That's great. And if you were with someone in your life, like a family member or a friend who you just, they don't really aren't ready to do that work. And you feel like every time you come into contact with them, it just sets all this stuff off in you and you doubt yourself and you go into shame response. Like you're allowed to set that boundary and say, no, like that's, that's not where I want to spend my time and my energy. And this is harder in the larger realm of things, but, but I do think that with every uninspiring act that we witness from the Trump administration, we can fill ourselves up with the inspiring work of, you know, the newly elected members of the House. I follow them on Instagram, the, the women of color, minority um, women who are just so inspirational to me and to read their messages and, and hear what they are working so hard for and understand the people that are rallying around them. I was so lucky to get to see Bernie Sanders speak last week, and he was really talking about classism and socialism in the United States and what that term really means. And I was just so inspired to hear how common sense and to hear his like righteous indignation that felt so channeled into something productive. And so like if you are just in a in a dysfunctional relationship with the news cycle right now, and you feel like you're almost like taking that rage of getting angry at the powers that be as a drug, like that's not helping. That's not part of the solution. Of course, we need to pay attention. We, we all need to be watchdogs right now. We need to be supporting the media and supporting the organizations that are doing the work to check that power in whatever way that we possibly can. Call your representatives, um, write letters to businesses that support ventures that you do not believe in. Like all of this is absolutely within our power. But if you feel like you're just kind of using that, that disappointment and rage and despair as a drug because it matches your childhood patterns in some way or in your relationship patterns in some way, I would say like th- that is not helping. So the, and if you can look at it in the bigger scheme and start to make some changes, it will help your personal relationships. And if your personal relationships are suffering in this way, if you work on setting more boundaries around how much you're going to feel in a relationship and the people that you spend your time with, um, then that is also going to be um, helpful in how you metabolize the larger sphere of things right now, too. And I don't want to make any of this sound easy because it's really not. And that's where society reinforces the cycle of things. 
we leave, we live in a really deeply consumeristic cycle, which is founded upon the idea that we are here to earn money. And if we are not earning enough money, that's our fault as personal people. If we're not making all of this work, all of this work, meaning like being able to earn enough money to pay for skyrocketing housing costs, healthcare costs, while wages are not moving up, where we are not supported for being new mothers or having people in our families with the, with the disabilities, all of that, if we're not making that work, that's not our problem. But society is going to tell us that that's where our, is our problem all the time. And it's going to use our vulnerabilities against us. And so that's the last point I want to leave us with here is that when we are dealing with codependent dynamics and relationships, it's very easy to use vulnerabilities against each other. And Brene Brown just talks about this in her Netflix special, which I watched a few days ago, that when we're not in touch with our own vulnerabilities, that when we experience them in partnership with other people and friendship relationship, we will attack on those vulnerabilities and not even in a super conscious way, we'll just do it. And I think that that is also a hallmark of codependent mesh dynamics is that we don't feel personally empowered in ourselves. And so we just try to check other people's power by making sure that we're always hitting that shame button every once in a while to make sure that they don't grow and they don't leave us and they don't evolve in some way where we're not going with them. And the only antidote that I can see for that is that we need to be in relationship with our own vulnerability. And what does that mean? That means that we start to see that the places that we feel shame, the places that we suffer, the places that we think that no one else could ever come into them and still love us, that those are the places that actually are fostering the connection and the the resilience and the love and not just for ourselves, but for the world as a whole. We need to be in a lot of compassionate relationship with our vulnerability. This, again, is very easy to say. It's hard to do because in those moments, like I said, all I want to do is hide from the world. And what we need is our communities of people that want to do this work together because it's not something we can do on our own. Relationship is how we learn and grow. We, we can, uh, Brene Brown was just saying in her special that this one guy was like, okay, I'm going to like do this vulnerability thing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it by myself. She was like, I don't think that's going to work very well. We need to do it together. So if you are in your life and you look around at your relationships and you're like, I want to do this work, I, I want this growth, but I don't feel like I can with these people because they're just not there and themselves. And we absolutely cannot force that growth in other people. And if we put ourselves and our vulnerability out to other people and they're not able to meet us in that, it's actually like really not great self-care for us because we're going to feel too vulnerable and like we've been hurt in that vulnerability so we need to find people that can practice it with us. So this is where I want to leave us, that I, I think when I look at where, our, where we are in our personal relationships and how afraid we are of disappointing other people and how afraid we are and what toxic relationship we can get into with authority figures and all these personal things, and then I look out at the world and I'm like, yes, and we, that is, the world is a reflection of those relationship things. And when we are acting out this reinforcement that society is telling us that we're not good enough in some way because we can't keep up. And the way to break the cycle is to start to be honest and to talk about it and that we need to find communities of people where we can practice these principles that Brene Brown has told us so much about. And we need to, and, and I really interpret those as self-care communities, that we need communities where self-care is celebrated, encouraged, practiced, 
where we can be ourselves or we can have a bad day and be like, I'm struggling and people can meet us in that respect. And I think there are two ways to find this. One is that we can work with a community that we already have to see if we can make the dynamics healthier within that community. And that can be that, you know, you have a girls weekend, like with your best friends from growing up every six months and you guys get together and get a cabin, hang out, drink wine. And in that, maybe you like gossip a lot or complain a lot about marriages or whatever it is you do in that space. Like, what would it be like for you to just open it up and be like, Hey, I want to, I want to talk more about what's real. Like I'm, I, I need to share about this. And if you already have that, like applaud and just make sure you keep scheduling that every six months on your calendar. And if you don't like, see if you can be that force in that community to bring in more vulnerability, to bring in more aspects of self-care together because there's just something so powerful, especially as women getting together to practice self-care with one another. And if you don't have that community, then I want to invite you to join my community. I have a community of amazing women who live all over the world, and it's called the Beautiful Life Collective. It's a uh, virtual community, but we do have retreats and meetups in person sometimes. And it's really about this intersection of personal and societal political So we understand that the way that we're living our lives influences the greater whole and the way that the greater whole is happening influences our lives and our ability to practice self-care. After um, learning and teaching self-care for years, I hit this wall where I was like, but society doesn't really let us practice self-care, especially if you are um, not white and not male and not rich. And then even like I look at that and I'm like, I think society allows white, rich males to practice material self-care, but I don't think it allows them any space for this work of vulnerability and this deeper spiritual self-care. So I think we're all pretty screwed when we have this society that we're all upholding. Maybe we're rebelling against it and we're just feeling a lot of rage about it. Or maybe we're just like shaking our heads like, nope, this is great because I'm terrified to look under the surface of what all this really means. So it's, it's about creating a new vision of things, a new, a new way of going about things in the world. I think there's so many sparks of inspiration for this, of what is it to bring well-being and self-care into the whole. Think about Oprah, love you Oprah, and how much work she has done in this regard of, of helping people see their personal power, their spiritual power, and being able to come together and practice this. And I want to be part of that. So I, a year ago, almost a year ago, I created the Beautiful Life Collective and it's full of amazing women. Some of them come in knowing that they are awesome leaders in their, their careers and in their families and in the world. Some don't. They just want to learn more about self-care together. And regardless of what it is, when we come together as a community, we learn more than we can practice on our own. And there's just something about the power of women collaborating together in this realm that it transforms lives. I've worked with hundreds of clients over the past years on their self-care. We learn routines and structure. I think that those are so important. Those are like them. I see them as the more masculine qualities of self-care. And that's not anything to do with gender in a person, but rather just like the structure and we're moving through things. And this is what I need to do. This is how I wake up in the morning. This is how I kind of approach my meals and I have a structure. And even when I'm like not able to do that, I have something to go back to. That's a huge layer of self-care that we work on together. And then we also work on what I see as the more feminine layer, which is that we stop trying to fix ourselves. We start celebrating the places that we are having a hard time, aka our vulnerabilities as a place of strength. 
we look inside, we get more comfortable with our own power. We get more comfortable taking up space. We learn how to stop apologizing every time we have a hard day or we cry in front of people. It's such beautiful work. I could go on and on about it. I just, so you know, if you are listening to this and you're like, yeah, I would really be interested in hearing more about it. You can go to my website. It's uh, selfcarewithgracie.com. And just scroll down a little bit and you'll see a link to learn more about the Beautiful Life Collective. Also, if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm going to be doing some posts over the next few days to promote this and bring in every amazing woman that I possibly have reached to in the world. Maybe you are one of them. And um, because the I only open membership a few times a year. And the reason I do this is because it's it just takes energy to market and to open the doors takes energy. And I'm super happy to do it because I love the women who come in when we do. And then after a week of keeping the doors open, we have to close them because energetically we need the safe space to be able to do the depth of the work that we do together. So if you are listening to this in the first few days of this podcast being out in the world, membership closes June 21st at midnight Eastern time. And you can just, again, go check out any of my places to stay in connection and you will find links for all of this. And, um, and the great thing about it is it's a monthly fee to join and it's really not that expensive. It's like you would definitely spend more on like a fancy lunch out in Washington, DC than you would on a month in this collective. And I don't want, I wouldn't want to make it super expensive because it's, I I think that this work just needs to be accessible. And if you have problems paying that fee in your life and you want to write me and tell me about that, please do. And I would be super open to hearing about that and and working with you because I think that if you have the the deep desire to practice this kind of self-care, money should not be the thing that keeps you from it. Uh, and then you, it's month to month. You do get like an awesome sign up bonus if you do the year, but that's, that's just like if it calls to you, but otherwise it's month to month. You can try it for a month or two, check out the resources. We have a year's worth of self-care resources that you can look at about how to create a dynamic morning routine for yourself, how to disappoint other people and still feel okay about it, how to handle setbacks, how to dream bigger in your life, meal planning. There's just a lot that we've done and there's a lot more to come. I'm going to be expanding the leadership to invite in a few other really great teachers in my life, particularly this summer, um, Reba Thomas of Reba the Diva. Uh, She's a sexuality educator. She's going to be doing a lot of work around sexuality and self-care for us about what that means to really accept ourselves as we are as sexual beings. We're going to do a great book that that helps us look at our, our sexuality as women as well this summer. So there's a lot of bonuses there. And one last thing, if you do sign up for the year, I want to promote that you will get a free gift worth almost $300 called the Revolutionary Ayurveda Course. Those of you who listen to this podcast know I talk about Ayurveda a lot because it has been so powerful for me to learn this ancient Indian science of well-being, to learn about my constitution and how I was built and how self-care can affect that differently, to learn how I can flow with the seasons, with the ages of my life. And to learn really how we are connected to one another and to nature, which I didn't fully know until I started to learn and practice Ayurveda. So I've created this, it's a four-part series on how to learn about Ayurveda, which is actually pretty hard to learn about in a way that like makes sense in the West. I looked a lot of places, it was a little, it's been challenging, Um, but I've gleaned a lot from a lot of different teachers and I've created this course. And it's not just about you and your personal self-care practices around Ayurveda. 
even though there's a lot in there for your personal, you will, you will definitely make some changes after listening to this course. But it's also about how to use Ayurveda as a social justice tool. So how do we look at these principles of self-care in our own lives and practice them out into the world? It's beautiful to see how those practices of social justice are already built into the science that was thousands of years old. And it's just a matter of us coming into relationship with them. So all of that will point you from just, we start with how to look at your digestion, like physical digestion, that's the first lesson. And then by the end, we are talking about visionary leadership and how to lead from your own depth of your truth and how to use that to be the change you want to see in this world. Okay, thank you for staying with me. That was a lot. We talked a lot about codependence, enmeshment, how that affects our personal relationships, how we can create change and growth through that. We looked at how that affects our greater political social sphere and how we can create change and growth through those dynamics. And we looked at the Beautiful Life Collective, and maybe you want to join. And I know I've been closing up for a while, but I'm going to say one more thing. Thanks for your patience. Which is just really, we, when we grow up in these dynamics, when we see them played out, it can feel like we've messed up in some way, or we lost out, or there's, then there is a significant loss. And if I would not be able to say, like, everything's great. It's all a growth opportunity um, without allowing for the grief. But I do look at people in my life who have gone through these very challenging dynamics and how they were raised. And I look at how they, when they do the deeper emotional self-care work, which is supported by the, the physical self-care work, and they grow and they change, they are the light bearers. They are the most beautiful people, the strongest people that I know, and they are changing their, the world relationship by relationship. And then some of them, and just some pretty amazing jobs, and like creating huge societal change too. And it's only when we do the deeper self-care work that we don't unconsciously further the toxic patterning we see in the world. So I leave you there to recognize that, that the personal and the political are connected and that even really hard situations can yield like the kind of growth that is um, truly miraculous to me. All right. Thank you so much for your attention. Wishing you all immense self-care today and always. And I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices, more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place. <laughs>